Fruitfulness on the front lines. That's a new series we're going to be picking up here in, as we study through the book of Colossians together. Some of you did a study of that in the ABF uh, last fall. Uh, Phil Gehrman and others led that discussion. It was a great discussion. And we wanted to follow that up with a series so that all of us together can think about what God might want us to be doing in the years ahead, right where he has us planted. Um, Last week, John Spadafora, maybe you heard the message, maybe you were watching it online sometime, but he said this, and and this statement that he said stuck with me all week, and it was this. We are lost without Christ. I found a prayer that just kind of helped me uh, think through the impact of that. It's a little humorous. Maybe you've heard it before. Dear Lord, so far I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy. I haven't been grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. But in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. It just reminded me, yes, of how much we need Christ, not only to rescue us from our sins, all our sins to forgive us, but we need a strength daily to just move on and to grow in him because we falter and we fail. How many days do you go about your life? I know, I mean, pastors don't do this, but the rest of you do, right? No, I'm, I'm kidding. We forget. We live life forgetting God's grace and how it's carrying us along daily and through things uh, that our creator is carrying us along through his life and through his provision. And he's carrying us along and we take it for granted. Uh, We lose sight of Jesus's grace and how much we need it. We're lost without him. I take it for granted and then when, when evil breaks into our lives or difficulties, whether it's uh, you know, sickness or a broken bone or a headache <laughs> or major upheavals, whether it's natural or man-made, we think, well, you know, what's this? God, what are you doing? How dare you allow this? Because we take his grace for granted. This morning, just think about it. How do you make sense of the world and what's going on without God? But for us who believe in God and trust in him, we even have a difficult time making sense of it all, don't we? How much we need God to carry us along. So in these next eight weeks, we're going to be talking about God's purposes and how he carries us along in life as his followers. What could God make you and me to be and to do for his glory and for his honor. It's a big picture kind of thing I want to talk about this morning with you. Is it really possible to live fruitfully for God in our times? To see people know God, come to faith in Christ, and grow and become the kind of people God always intended the humanity to be. Fruitful living is anchored in Jesus Christ. Rooted in Jesus Christ. And it's possible to live in a way that has lasting impact, not only in this world, but in that will carry over into all eternity. Do you believe that? 
that it's really possible to live in such a way that the impact of your life, the little things or the big things that we think we do, will have impact for all eternity and bring glory to God even in a thousand, a million, a billion years from now because of Christ and what he's done in our lives. Jesus said yes. And it brings us back to that opening idea, yeah, we're lost without Christ. So in our series, in this big picture truth today, I just want a couple things in my time that I have today. Who is Jesus? And who are we if we are in Christ by believing in him, by faith in him? So let's talk about the big picture for a few minutes. Fruitfulness on the front lines. Just in case you aren't tuned in or this is the first time that you've heard this, fruitfulness on the front lines. What are your front lines? Well, it's where we are in our daily living. That's our front lines. We have different front lines, but they're kind of similar too. It's where God has planted you. It's where you've chosen by God's goodness and grace to, to choose a career or to be at home. It's with family, it's with neighbors, it's in school hallways, it's your workplace, it's at the gym, it's on the playing field, it's watching the game with friends or your family. It's all those things. That's your front line. That's where God has you and you can live for his glory and honor. Does Jesus really have plans for you and me to influence our whole world with his kingdom truth and his kingdom ways? Yes, Jesus said so. Old Testament passage we refer to a lot in Christian circles. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So that makes it possible to be fruitful and to bring a taste, a little picture a little glimpse of the glories of the kingdom of God because it's a work of God. If you have your Bibles open, you're in Colossians. Turn with me to John chapter 15 because here's a language, language that's garden language. It takes us back to Genesis. Jesus in John chapter 15 is talking about being the true vine and his people being the branches. But I, I want to point out, starting at verse 15, of John chapter 15. Listen to these verses. No longer, Jesus said, do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. And you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. There's that garden language that God spoke to Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden. Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. And then Jesus in the Great Commission, just before he returned to heaven, said, I've been given all authority because who am I? Well, I'm Lord and God. So I give you the authority to go and be fruitful to make disciples wherever you are, wherever you're going and all you're going because I'm the Lord and God. That's Jesus's plans for his disciples. I didn't, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to be fruitful for the kingdom of God. Those first Verses of chapter 15 remind us how lost we are without Jesus and how much we need him. 
Listen to verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So fruitfulness with Christ, it's not only possible, but not because of who we are by ourselves, but who we are because of who Jesus is and what he's making us when we believe in him, when we are in Christ. Back to Colossians chapter 1, it says in verses uh, 13 and 14 that Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Moving from dark to light. There's this character change. There's this purpose change. There's this actions that begin to take place that reflect the glory of God. It's a process. We're going to be talking about in the weeks ahead, six M's. And I just, uh, Mark, if you can put them up on the screen now. Just uh, some of you are familiar with these. Some of us might not be. But we're going to be taking one of these a week. Modeling godly character. That's one of the six M's. That's fruitfulness in the kingdom. Making good work. That's being fruitful for the kingdom. Ministering grace and love. Molding culture. Amnion is a work of God, a ministry of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's trying to mold culture in a more holy and better direction, and that's why we support it. We want to be a mouthpiece of truth and justice, God's truth and God's way of justice, and we are messengers of the gospel. We're going to be investigating each of these M's in the weeks ahead, so just keep that in mind. You might want to write that down. We'll, we'll keep referring to them as the week. So the six M's are like a roadmap to help us, just one way of helping us, you know, by Christ's power to transform others as God transforms us by his grace and might. Lasting fruit. So it's all possible by, because of who Jesus is. Abiding fruitfulness, the second idea today, key idea is this. Abiding fruitfulness happens. It starts when we recognize and remember and are reminded of who Jesus is. It's knowledge about God, about Christ, about our God and Savior that changes us inside and then outside. It's that picture that we use, head, heart, and hands. What's an example of knowledge that's in your mind getting into your heart, into your soul, and then changing how you live. There's a perfect picture of that in Luke chapter 5, and I invite you to flip back there, because this is Peter. It's a Peter when he and, and the other disciples were out fishing, and they hadn't caught any fish. Jesus was teaching in Peter's boat, and he said, Peter, you've been out fishing, but I want you to go out to deep water and cast your nets over the side. And Peter said, we've been out all night, we've caught nothing, and, but he's, because you tell me, I'll go, Jesus, I'll do this. And we know what happens. Look at, at Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 
8. After they, they went out fishing, they caught this huge amount of fish. The, the boats were so full they were beginning to sink. And here's how Peter responded. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also there was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. I call this Peter's Isaiah moment. Maybe you're familiar with Isaiah's vision in, in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah had a vision of God in his temple up in heaven, and there was all this smoke, and he saw God in all his glory, and everything was shaking, and the holy angels were saying, holy, holy, holy. And what was Isaiah's response? <laughs> Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people with unclean lips you know, that are saying dirty things and, and living in dirty ways, and I'm in trouble. That was Peter's response. Get away from me. I'm in trouble. You're too holy for me. But God cleansed Isaiah, and Jesus invited Peter, and he's inviting us to not only know him, but let the truth of who Jesus is, this glorious God, this Savior, this miracle worker, change our souls so that we entrust ourselves to him and take action and follow him wherever he leads us. That's knowledge of Christ that changes our heart, changes our beliefs, it changes our commitment, and it gets into the very things we think and then do. That's why we teach the word of God, so that you know the truth about Jesus Christ, about who God is and what he's done for you. So we teach the word of God so, Bible, so people have Bible knowledge. But it's more than that. We want to teach the truth about Christ so that we worship God, so that we bow down and say, I am unworthy. We have an opportunity to do that today as we take communion to remember who we were without Christ and then to celebrate and revel that he says, come, join me, believe in me, and I'm going to change you. While you're fishing for fish, you're going to learn how to fish for people, for God's kingdom. It's going to change how we relate to one another, redemptive relationships. It's going to be, we're going to focus on equipping one another. That's why we're doing this series, equipping one another to live for God where we are. Whatever stage of life we're in, whether we're shut in our homes or not, we can still be serving God in great ways. Kingdom work can be done no matter where we are. I call it PMD, Personal Ministry Development. We want to do that for all of us here so we can serve God better. And then reaching out into our world, into our community, wherever we are, with the hope of the gospel. Fruitful living for God be begins with knowing who Jesus is. Colossians chapter 2. Back to Colossians. 
Colossians 1 and 2. Just want to look at a couple, couple references just to remind you of who he is, how great Jesus is. Look at verses 9 and 10 of Colossians chapter 2. For in him, that is speaking of Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And you have been, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. He's fully God, and he's more than divine. You know, the angels are divine because they've been made by God and they're holy. Human beings can be divine. We can even do the church is divine because it sources God, but angels and humans are not deity. They're not God. Jesus is God to the full. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, equal in power and glory. They're distinct but one. And those who in Christ, those who believe in Christ, those who are in Christ by faith, by this gift of grace, we never are deity, we never are God, and yet we become godly in Christ. We become full of Christ. That's his work in us. It's an amazing truth and mystery of the gospel. It's nothing we do, it's nothing we have within us, but it's all of Christ. Christ's fullness indwells us. Look at Colossians chapters 1. He's not only God, but it says it it again in verse 15. David read these verses. He is the image of the invisible God. Don't you like the paradox there? He's the image of the invisible. That's pretty cool. That's crazy thinking, right? The image of the invisible. How can something be invisible and have an image? Think about idols. How many idols have been made in the world? Some kind of an image that people made from their imagination, but God went a lot better than that. It's not some man-made image. God came and revealed what God is like in the image, the fullness of God dwelling in Christ. It's a neat thing. He's the firstborn of all creation. There are five meter boys in my family. I'm number four of the five. Firstborn, we think, oh, I have an older brother. He's the firstborn. Firstborn doesn't mean birth order like we think. Firstborn means priority, place, preeminence. Jesus is number one. He never gets bumped from being number one. He's first in priority and glory. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For by him, verse 16, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. One commentator said, Jesus, remember this, who is Jesus? Jesus made it all. He's the creator, the agent of creation. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All things are created by him and for him. I don't have time to turn to it today, but John chapter 1 says the same thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were made by him, and nothing that was made has been made except through him. Same truth, same doctrine from a different voice. 
Who is Jesus? He's the creator of all, the agent of all. He made it all. And then secondly, Jesus paid it all. He's the agent of salvation. Look at verse 20. For in him, verse 19, in him all fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself, it's on our chalkboard today, reconciled through Christ, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. He paid it all. He's the agent of salvation. He created everything and he's the only way to be saved. He's the one who brings peace with God through his shed blood on the cross. And you know, John Spadafore always says shalom, a full peace. It's a spiritual peace, reconciled with God so that you're not fighting against God, but you're working with God. Are you working with God this morning? Have you believed in Christ? It's soul peace at peace with who you are and how you've been made and what you can do for God's glory. It's peace with other people because you're reconciled to God. You can serve them without being worried if you're on top or not. Soul needs met, physical needs met, mind needs met, full peace. We have it now in Christ, but it's not yet. It's still coming in all its fullness. All things were made by Jesus, for Jesus, and he holds all things together, it says. Who is Jesus? We better stop, right? And I'm almost out of time. <laughs> but I got more to say. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Shouldn't tease you like that. Fruitful living with purpose that outlasts this life is all wrapped up in knowing Jesus Christ and knowing him more and more. So never tire of getting to know Jesus Christ. Something I noticed this morning, and I just mentioned in passing with the miracle with Peter and him bowing before Jesus when suddenly this truth about who Jesus was got into his mind and into his soul. And in that moment, he worshiped and he bowed down and said, I'm unworthy. And, and yet he was worshiping him. And, he, and then he followed Jesus. Just left everything behind changed his life because of what he saw and what he believed. And it changed how he lived. You know what's really cool? Think about it. Same kind of miracle happened at the end of Jesus' time on earth when Jesus restored Peter. Another great catch of fish happened. And I think not only for Peter, but for some of those other disciples that were in that boat in John chapter 21, they must have been like, whoa. We've seen this before. And there was this flashback to who Jesus is and who they are without him and how he's changed them and the things he's asking them to do that are even going to be greater when he disappears and goes back to glory. Every now and then, you and I need to have one of those moments. And remember who Jesus is and who we are without him. And then the grand and glorious things that he wants to do through us, his people, individually and together for God's glory. Fruitfulness can happen because of who Jesus is.
But not only that, fruitfulness can happen because of who Jesus is making us. Abiding fruitfulness, point three, if you're following along in the outline, progresses by recognizing who we are in Christ. Colossians and the letter to the Ephesians are called the twin letters. And if you take time to read the book of Ephesians, it's only six chapters. And if you read the book of Colossians, it's only four chapters. They're split right in half. The first three chapters of Ephesians are kind of like doctrine about who Jesus is in the church. And then talks about how we'd live differently because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, his people. Colossians is kind of broken up the same way. You're going to see repeated themes again and again. And I just want to jump to Colossians chapter 1 and take a look at a couple things. Look at the first two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers, and might I add, sisters in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. These people are in Christ. They're connected to Christ by faith, by his grace, by his goodness. They heard the gospel, and belief brings people into God's kingdom. And part of that, they become saints. But you know what else I like about this? They're not only in Christ, but they're at Colossae, or they're in Colossae. We could write it or say it this way for us. To the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Havertown. Same Savior, same position with Christ, same world with the same sin issues, nothing's new under the sun, bad politics, sometimes good politics, power struggles, sexuality issues, divorce, greed, injustice, poverty, it goes on and on, trouble at work, trouble being with my master, trouble with my employer, people being unfair, cheating me out of things, not enough food, what the world's the emperor doing, more taxes, it goes on and on, same old stuff. And Jesus rescued us to know him, to know his kingdom ways, to follow him, so that we can be as saints and faithful brothers who are in Christ at Havertown, or name your town, wherever you go, your front lines, to follow him and learn to trust him more and more, just like Isaiah did and Esther did and Peter did and Mary and Martha. And the list just goes on and on to famous people you know today and not so famous people you know here <laughs> called together to be with Christ, in Christ. I'm going to fly through these. Information overload, but there's method to the madness. Who are we in Christ? Well, in Ephesians chapter 1, I'm jumping from Colossians 1 to Ephesians chapter 1, we're holy and blameless, verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 1. Are you kidding me? I'm holy and blameless, not because of what I am, but because of who I am in Christ. Adopted as sons and daughters, places of privilege, responsibilities as stewards, we're managers, we're teachers, we're workers in God's field, we're workers in the world. This is what we're called to be. We're adopted into a position of blessing, into God's family, into God's called out ones, the church. 
In Christ, verses 7 and 8, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and grace is lavished. That's the word there, lavished on us. I mean, it just keeps coming. It never runs out. God keeps carrying us. Even when we fail, he just pours out his grace on us regularly, more and more. That's who we are in Christ. That's where he's taking us to be. We're going to be all these things one day perfectly, and he's in the process of doing that now. We own it now. It's going to be reality when we see him face to face. In verses 9 and 10, he talks about us knowing the mystery of God's will for the church. And because we know the mystery of God's will for the church and that Jesus is coming back, we've got to be better master, better servants watching the master's door, the job he gave us to do. In verse 11, it says, we have a heavenly inheritance. I don't even know what that means. It just, it's going to be glorious. That's what I know what it means. It's going to be grand. It's going to be ours. We're going to be owners of all that Christ owns. I don't deserve that. Yet he's happy to give it to us because that's the kind of God we believe in. In verses 13 and 14, it says we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing that God's never going to drop us, but he's going to hold on to us and save us. Information overload. <laughs> I said all that just to remind us that we are rich in Christ. Think about it. That's Jesus' plan all along to make a people set apart that reveal his glory, that shows off his grace, that are being transformed and changed because of who Jesus is and because of who they are becoming because of Jesus Christ. Wow. Where there's life, there's hope. If you have life in Christ this morning, then there's hope that more people are going to join the ranks of God's kingdom glory. And we are invited to have a part in it, fruitful on our front lines. We may think it's nothing, but in God's hands, it multiplies like the bread and the fish and feeds many. Listen to this. Fruitfulness is possible for Jesus' disciples now just as much as it was when he was talking to Peter, James, John, Andrew, and the rest of the list. No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Isn't it amazing to think about what life, how it's going to be different for people as we live for God in 2022 as a people? Let's pray. Lord God, I ask you now, Spirit of God, to just 
penetrate our minds with something today to take away that would remind us, that would get down deep into our hearts, more than just great truth that we know, but would change how we think so that we serve you more fervently, that we believe in you just a little bit more. Lord God, breathe life and your power into us today so that we dare to follow you and trust you and so that more people from every tribe, nation, people, and language will believe just because of your people. Not only us, but all your people here in Havertown living more in step with you by your power and by your grace because of who you are. Lord, stir this up in our unbelieving hearts. Stir unbelieving hearts to trust in you. Stir our doubting hearts to quit doubting and to bow down and let you make us fishers of men and women. Lord Jesus, you are our wonderful counselor. You are our mighty God. You are our everlasting father. You are our prince of peace. And we believe that the increase of your government and peace will never end. Let it be so. Amen.